Welcome to Bushfire. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I like it. Neville Johnson, Session 8. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you this morning about when God lowers the hedge. And um, just read a couple of scriptures, or maybe two or three, before we get into this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, it reads like this. And if then children, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed... We suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Okay, everybody wants to be joint heirs. How many wants to suffer with him? (laughs) For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. See? Glory and suffering, he puts them together. First Peter 5 and verse 10 uh, it reads like this. Uh, it says, But may the God of all grace who has called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen you, and settle you. How many, we don't like to hear scripture about suffering, do we? But if you want glory... We have to go through some things. Hebrews 2.10 uh, is an interesting passage of Scripture. <clears throat> for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, and making the cap- captain of their salvation perfect, through sufferings. There's some things that cannot be accomplished in our life except by suffering. I know the people don't like preachers who say this. <clears throat> That's what the Bible says. Okay? And so, I want you to talk to you today about one of my favorite characters. Job. I tell you, he was an incredible guy. I mean, everybody downs, is down on Job, you know? But, you know, we must, we must continually understand and it needs to be established firmly in our hearts that God ever and always seeks only the highest good for us. Under all circumstances, he's seeking the highest good for you. No matter what is happening in your life right now, he's seeking the highest good for you. 
And that's his underlying purpose. It's a liberating, you know, reality, which you need, we need this as a rocket, a rock, a solid foundation within our lives. When everything is going wrong, God is still on the throne, and in it all, he's seeking the highest good possible for you. Some things we will only learn through suffering. He has gone really quiet now. <laughs> See, God looks at the end of the matter. He looks at the end of it. He sees the final outcome. Where well, we tend to see what's happening immediately now. But God sees a lot further than that. See, it says, God led the children of Israel into the wilderness where there were scorpions and no water and all this stuff. He led them into the wilderness to bless them. You want to be blessed? Whoa. <laughs> he led them into the wilderness to bless them. Deuteronomy 8.15, who led you through a great and terrible wilderness where there were fiery serpents, scorpions, and drought, where there was no water, who brought you forth water out of the flint rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew that. Listen. For what purpose? That he might humble you. Secondly, that he might prove you. And thirdly, so that he would be able to do you good at the latter end, when it was over. Job is an incredible character. You know, the Bible said about Job, he is a perfect man and the only one in the earth at that time who was perfect. How about God came to you and said, look at this person, they're perfect. There's no one like them in the earth. I only want to be like Job. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> That's an incredible statement, you know. <laughs> Job 1 5 and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning offered burnt offerings according to the number of them or for Job said maybe that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart thus did Job continually look after his children made sacrifices for them and uh, he was such a good man he had some way with children, but he was a good man. And then God's analysis of Job is this. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect, and he was upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And it goes on to say there was not one other like him in the earth. Incredible. Incredible. You know, when we look at Job, we always look at his, oh, Job was complaining and da, 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 da. Hey, there was not a man like him in the earth. Feared God. Job lived somewhere after the flood 
and before, you know, before Abraham, somewhere in that slot. But he understood that, you know, sin could be covered by sacrifice. And he sacrificed daily for his children. You know? And he was a good man. Then, the Lord said this, Job chapter 1 and verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? He's bragging now. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man. Wow. So, Satan said, oh yeah. He said, but he only serves you because you're good to him. God looked at Job. He sees right down his whole life from beginning to end. He knows exactly his decisions he's going to make. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him. He says, okay. See, Satan doesn't have that advantage. <laughs> God does. He knows the end from the beginning. He said, why did God put him in such a terrible position? Because he knew the outcome. So he said, do you consider my son Job? He said, he said, okay, you can take it all from him, but don't touch him physically. And we'll see if he'll still keep serving me. You can take it all off him, everything I've blessed him with. Kind of, that was, you know. So God lowered the hedge around, and that protective hedge over all, his go- all of his goods and his family lowered the hedge. Sometimes God comes along and lowers the hedge and exposes you to the enemy so that you learn to grow up, overcome, and be blessed. You know, the only way you can learn to stand and walk in divine health is to get sick. No other way of learning that. You have to overcome it. You know? And so, God lowered the hedge. And all hell broke loose. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth God fear Job for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge around him? and about his house, and all, all that he hath on every side, and you've blessed the work of his hands. But if you put forth your hand now and touch all that he hath, Job will not serve you anymore. He'll curse you. And the Lord said unto Satan, Okay, that's a challenge. Behold, all that he hath, now Satan is in your power. But you cannot touch him physically. So God lowered the hedge. This whole dealing with Job was redemptive. See, because when this thing was over, (laughs) God gave him twice as much as he had before. (laughs) You know? But to get there, there was a little difficult path he had to walk through. So then, Job 1.13, there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job, saying, the oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the serv- your servants with the edge of the sword, and I'm the only one that escaped. 
So it's beginning to start, all right? Losing his cattle. While he was yet speaking, there came also another said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up the sheep. Probably lightning. And the servants had consumed them. And I'm only on one that's left. While he was still speaking this, there came another and said, The Chaldeans have made three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away. Now, you're not talking about a handful of camels. You're talking about several thousand. He had a lot of stuff. And have slain as your servants with the sword. And I'm the only one that come that escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, if anything more could go wrong, they said, The sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a great wind from the wilderness, hit the house, the house fell and killed them all. Well, Job rose up, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down and worshipped God. Hey, what kind of a guy is this? He worshipped God. And he said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, naked I shall return thither. The God has given, blessed me, and the God has taken away. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or foolishly charge God. Incredible. This guy's something else, you know. Whatever you hear people preach about Job, this is the thing that you need to remember. In all this, Job sinned not. And never charged God foolishly. He didn't know why this had happened. He wasn't in on this deal with Satan. He didn't know why it was happening. You know, if Job knew what was happening and what the deal was, it would have been a lot easier for him. But he didn't know why all this was happening to him. And the outcome of this was the last chapter in the book of Job, Job 42.10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Hey, you know. We had a couple in our church and their house burned to the ground. And there were Christians pointing a finger at them, telling them they must have sinned, they must have done something wrong. Where does all that garbage come from? You know. Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, some things are going to go wrong. Because God's going to lower the hedge on you in order to cause you to grow up. Don't let any preacher tell you if you're walking in God, everything's going to go right. Because he's lying. The only way God can bless you is cause you to overcome. And for you to overcome, things have to go wrong. And you've got to overcome them. And the main thing he wants us to overcome is our attitude. <laughs> oh, yes, attitudes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, God does little things in our lives. He, he puts us in a position where um, we work under somebody, right? We have to submit to that person. 
And God watches, you know. Now, the person, you know, who's over you, you might have different ideas and want to do things differently. But that's not your prerogative. You're under that person. God watches your attitudes. You know? You can't serve under someone else. Submit to them. You'll never serve under God and submit to Him. It starts with people first, not God. Your attitudes. Attitudes. Oh, the outcome, though, was great. Job's friends had given them a hard time, you know, all through about, you know, lots of chapters. There's this discussion between his friends and Job. Job, you must have done something wrong, you know. And at the end it says he prayed for his friends. He forgave them. I mean, he just lost all his children. Lost everything. These guys are getting into Job saying you must have done something wrong. Anyway, his attitude, he kept it straight. He prayed for them. This is the kind of man he was. And, uh, and the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than in his beginning. And he now had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he, also, and he called the name of the first one Jemima, and the name of the second one, so on, and the name of the third one, I can't pronounce, and in all the land, <laughs> all of the land, there was no woman found so fair as the daughters of Job. See how God blessed him? And after this, Job lived another 140 years. Well... And saw his sons and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. I love that phrase. Full of days. <laughs> We're full of days. See, when God lowers the hedge, it's simply to give you an opportunity to overcome. You want to have faith? He said, teach me how, Lord, teach me faith. Be careful what you ask. Because God's going to put you in a position where you're going to really need to exercise faith. That's the only way you can learn, right? Okay. Oh, Lord, I want to pray for the sick. I want to have a healing ministry. Okay. I'm going to lift the hedge off you. And you get, the, you get more sick than you've ever been before. Well, you asked, you wanted a ministry, you could overcome it first in yourself. Getting real quiet here. Everybody wants ministry, but they don't want to pay the price for it. You know? God lowers the hedge. <laughs> yeah. Attitudes, attitudes. You know, we need to understand by by the Lord's stripes we are healed. But it is through our stripes from the enemy upon us. When we overcome, we have the power to heal others. You understand what I'm saying? By the Lord's stripes we were healed.
But for us to have the power to heal others, he lowers the hedge and lets you be hit by the enemy. Now he says, you want a healing ministry? We start here. Exercise your faith and overcome this. And that's so in every level and every kind of ministry. <laughs> they don't teach this in Bible school, you know. They teach you to forget. <laughs> they, they teach them all this stuff and put them out in the world and they nearly die because they don't know the ways of God. And they don't know how to qualify. In every place and circumstances which you have overcome, you are given authority in that. Job. Hallelujah. And you know, seed is God's secret weapon. We've talked about this. I'm not going to talk about it today. You know, but when my daughter died, just before she, just a, a week before she died, she gave me a letter. And she said, Dad, <clears throat> don't open this unless you have to. Well, that's a weird thing to say. I said, oh, yeah, okay, I stuck it in my pocket. I actually forgot about it. And she died in a car accident. I pulled this out. And here's the exact order for her funeral. Songs that were to be sung. Who was to take it? And at the bottom was the word, seed for the harvest. Seed. Her parents have lost their children, you know, and don't know why. What did you do wrong? Didn't do anything wrong. You know? We won't have time to pursue this that particular aspect over today, but it is there. The youth leader at Morning Star Fellowship in America was a young guy, 22. He had everything going for him in God. He prayed and prayed and sought the Lord. He said, I'll give anything for the youth. The youth, he died. Unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. We don't understand why these things are happening, but whatever God does is redemptive. He has a purpose and he has a plan. You know? Hallelujah. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You know, and God said in Genesis 1, 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth seed. Let it bring forth. And he said, be not deceived, be not mocked. God will not be mocked. What we sow, we reap. There's another thing why some things in our life are a problem and go wrong. It's because what we've sown, we are reaping. We need to repent of that. If we've sown something, repent of it. The seed won't grow. You see, so... It's important just to understand this. You know, the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and verse 9, <coughs> where Paul was watching on, actually he was holding the clothes, the, the garments of those who were stoning Stephen. Paul later in his life made reference to this. Paul would not have been what he had been unless Stephen had been martyred. You see? 
attitudes. Hallelujah. Job was a really, really interesting character, you know. There was a destiny factor involved in the story of Job. And the thing is, Job had agreed for these things to happen to him. Listen to me. And don't get, you know, listen to me. Job had agreed for the things that were happening to him. He agreed with the Lord that they would happen before he came to this earth. And I'll give you some biblical reference for that. You see, you did not... You, you did not, you, your spirit didn't, wasn't created at the point of conception. You've lived a long, long time on the other side. Probably thousands of years. You know, <laughs> it's getting really quiet. You see, this generation is a generation with destiny more than any other generation. It's the last generation, I believe, before the return of the Lord. It is an extremely special generation which is often spoke about in the Word of God. This generation, your generation. Destiny. You know, if you're not walking towards your destiny, there'll be a sense of disorientation and confusion and unrest in your life. And to finally lock on. You know? There is deep, deep in the being of every person an incredible sense of destiny. But with the fact of life and living in the hardness of life, that gets lost. It just, just fades and gets lost. You know, a recent survey of of medical practitioners revealed that the majority of their patients were suffering from a profound lack of purpose which affected them physically. Isn't that interesting? See, destiny. See, first, Second Timothy 1 and verse 9 <clears throat> says, Who has saved us and he called us with a holy calling according to the works, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before this world was created. <coughs> a destiny and a calling you were given before this world was even created. Come on, you're special. There's a purpose. Ephesians uh, 4.14. Oh, sorry, Esther 4.14. For if thou, thou uh, altogether holdest your peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house shall go down into obscurity. You've got to find your destiny. You know? Now, Romans 8.28. Now we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purposes. For whom he did foreknow, 
God foreknew you, whom he did foreknow, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, people say, well, do you believe in predestination? I believe everybody chooses whether they will be saved or not. But God knows the choices you will make in life and he knows the end result. So destination is always connected with the foreknowledge of God. Understand what I'm saying? Otherwise we're going to get off the crazy thing here. Some are predestinated to be saved and others are not. Once saved, always saved. You will always have a choice to walk out of the kingdom of God. Always. We always will have that choice. And it's not that God took hold of you and said, I'm going to predestinate you to be saved. This person is not predestinated to be saved. That's not how it works. It says, God knows the choices you will make. He knows the outcomes of those choices. And so that's your destiny. Very important to understand that. So, whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed in his son. First Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. All right. You know, God called a heathen king by the name of Cyrus. He was a heathen king who was going to be a deliverer in Israel in one sense. And it says in Isaiah 45, 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, Cyrus. This was a heathen king, he wasn't a Christian. But the anointings of God came upon him at times to make the right choices for Israel. Those whose right hand have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose his lot, the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. And it's talking about this man, you know. And uh, it goes on to say, and I'll give him the, thee the traces of darkness and the hidden riches of the secret places that thou may know, Cyrus, that I, the Lord, which call you by name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob's sake, for Israel's sake, my elect, I have called you by name. This was 400 years before the guy was born. That was written. Called him, said, this guy's going to be... Born, this is his name, Cyrus. This is what his role is. He got four knows Everything about you. Everything. The decisions we make, the results of those decisions. He knows the final outcome. He has a complete foreknowledge of your life. We're not talking here about some kind of paganistic fatalism. We're just talking about the foreknowledge of God. You are what you are today because of the choices you have made in the past. That's it. Don't look at me like that. You are what you are today by the choices you made in the past. Not God made them for you. You made them. Good or bad. So you can't blame God. Say, oh, you predestinated me to this. No, he saw those choices long before you were even born. Ah. You know, there's been 
hundreds of generations, for thousands of years. And God saw fit that you would be alive in this world. You need to get a hold of that. You really do need to get a hold of that. There's a reason why you were born in this generation. You know, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, King David saw this generation, this our generation. In, in, in Psalm 102, he talks about a lot of things, and then he says, 18, verse 18, this shall be written for a generation to come. A people who will be created, that will praise the Lord. He was talking about this generation. It says, For God looked down from the heights of his sanctuary, Psalm 102, 19, from heaven. He did behold the earth. He's talking about this generation. He says, God looked down at the earth. He's looking down at the earth. Everything that's happening. He heard the groanings of the prisoners and to, the, and to, the, and to loose those that are appointed unto death to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praises in Jerusalem. See, God looks down. He knows what's going on in the earth. The stuff going on on the earth that if somebody told you about them, you'd have nightmares. Terrible things. God looks down. He hears the groanings of the people. He hears and sees the injustices. These are not necessarily Christians, but he sees the injustices. He sees the heartache. And he says, I'm going to intervene in this generation. I'm going to do something about it. Oh, hallelujah. See, this generation's coming to an open heaven in Zion. Glorious time. Who are you? You see, why are you here? Where did you come from? This generation of young people need to know why they are here. They've been bombasted with evolution from that high in school. You know, everyone talks about evolution as a fact. You know, all these TV programs, and this person goes back uh, 16,000 years. No way of proving it, of course. Absolutely cannot be proven with carbon dating or anything else. But they tell it as a fact when it's only a theory. Carbon dating is only accurate back to the flood. The conditions on the earth were totally different, which throw carbon dating completely out pre-flood. But you see, we have a whole generation of young people who have been steeped in this stuff. You know? No future... No life after death. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's riot. Because we're only going to be dead and it's over. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. They got rebellion all over the world. Because there's no hope. There's no future. They don't know why they're here and what the future is for them. You cannot tell this generation of young people, be saved and just go to heaven. There's got to be more than that. We have to preach a gospel of the coming kingdom in the earth and we have to give this generation of kids a reason to die for 
and they'll rise up. They need to know where they came from, what it is about. You know, heaven's an incredible place. <clears throat> I had, you know, I had an encounter, and I haven't talked with a friend of mine who died by the name of Walter Butler, good friend of mine. And um, he died. He died of cancer. And I thought, Lord, you know, what is all this? I know he was getting old, but still, you know. Anyway, I met him in heaven. He began to talk to me for a long time. He talked about the end time harvest. He talked about, this was pre-Berlin War falling down. Uh, he, he, he talked to me about the changes that would come in Europe. He talked about the fall of the Russian communists and the fall of Czechoslovakia. And he said Czechoslovakia would be desired, divided and a new nation would arise called Slovakia. He said all of these things long before all of this happened. I shared it with my church. And uh, he, he talked to me for hours. Then he died of cancer. And I said, look, come on. I said, why? Because he said that was my final test to see if I would trust God no matter what happened to me. You know, it kind of throws your theology out a bit. And uh, this generation is destined to see great things. You know, in heaven there's a library, an incredible library. You would not believe this library. Massive. <laughs> and I pulled a book out on John Wesley's life. And as I started to read this book, the strangest thing happened. It is not like you read an ordinary book. I was living his life with him. I felt everything, every emotion, every disappointment, everything I felt. I've been total part of it. And I said, oh, wow, it's incredible. And I said, I wonder if there's a book here on John G. Lake. And the book went, poop. I thought, I could pull that book out. I could feel how John G. Lake felt. The stuff he went through, how he felt while he was going through it. Times when he almost gave up. Heaven's an incredible place. In the book it is written, you have a book. You know, book of life is not just your names in it and you say it. It's a book of your life. <laughs> it's about time to repent and get some of the pages erased, eh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know how we got onto that. But anyway, Job. In the first 37 chapters of Job, Job is struggling. He's saying, Lord, I don't know what's happening to me. Why has this happened? And then he's got these guys on his back all the time. And um, finally, chapter 34. God gets hold of Job and he says, Job, stand up like a man. I want to talk to you. Out of the whirlwind comes. Job, stand up. 
like a man. Now I want to talk to you. Now what I'm going to tell you now is not extra biblical, it's written in the Word. Okay. So he says, stand up. Job, I'm going to talk to you. Where were you when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Where were you when all this was going on? And Job was saying, yes. I'm not sure where this is going. Yes. Surely, he said, you know, because you were already born and you have lived so many years. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Where were you? That's you know. Any S version says you know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. The Living Bible says, but of course you know all this. You were born then. And you are extremely old. God was saying to Job, come on, stand on your feet. Get up your loins. Let's have this thing out. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Job, he said, you agreed to come to earth in this year, these years. You agreed to go through certain trials. Now, what's your problem? thought exactly what was happening. I know I've talked to Job in heaven. I know what I'm saying is absolutely right. He said, Job, you agreed to come to earth? You were there when the sons of God shouted for joy and we created this earth. You saw it all happening. You were part of it and rejoiced with it. You were given an assignment and you agreed to it. So stand up like a man and fulfill it. What's the matter with you? This turned the captivity of Job and he prayed for his friends and it was over. It was over when he realized again, you know, some things which we call revelation is just a remembering by the Holy Spirit. I told you where my grandkids, you know, were talking about the trees in heaven and they were forgetting about it. And another time I heard them talking like this. Remember, there's two of them, one a girl, one a boy. The boy was saying, remember when we agreed that I would come first? I taught them the other day, can you remember? No, I have no remembrance of that now. Life cloaks, falls, comes in on us, and life is a forgetting. Hey, come on. You're agreed to be here in this generation. <laughs> This turned the captivity of Job. He said, oh yeah, okay Lord. I remember. Yeah. And it was over for him. And I said to Job, I said, look, these scriptures, he says, am I, I said, am I getting these right? I was sitting in a, I don't know what you call them here, pergola. 
in, in, in a beautiful garden, talking with Job, sitting down, Job. And I said, are these scriptures how I understand them? He said, it's exactly right. <laughs> See, we've interpreted that wrong. We've interpreted it like this. You know, Job, were you there when we created the, the, the sons of God shouted for joy? And then we translated that, of course you weren't there. Huh? What? That's not the correct. That's not correct at all. He's saying, you were there when these things were taking place. See, we forget our life before. We just forget what it was like. You have a destiny. The conditions on this planet are just hard enough to make sons and daughters of God. You have to have difficult conditions. For I reckon, Paul said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed within us. For the earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Don't waste your sufferings. Use them as a springboard. Sometimes God will lower the head, edge and you go through some sufferings because he wants you to change your attitudes to things. Other times he'll lower the head because he's training you. You know? Particularly when he's training you in warfare. He's going to lower the head and let you get whacked. And you get back up on your feet and say, that's not going to happen again. That's how it works. He lowers the head so you can put on the whole armor of God and learn how to use it. <laughs> you know, when Jesus <clears throat> commissioned, remember he commissioned 70 disciples, Right? first there was the 12, then he commissioned 70 others and sent them out. I thought, I'm going to check out what happened to these guys, you know. And um, the New Testament speaks only of 30 of them by name. I don't know about the rest of them. But one guy was the name of Ananias. The guy, you know, that prayed for Paul's sight? This guy, he left all to follow Jesus and became the bishop of Damascus in Syria. Incredible moves of God. Barnabas. How many of you remember Barnabas? One of the 70. Barnabas came and gave all that he had. Remember that in, in Acts uh, chapter 4? He went all the way to Italy and became the bishop of Milan. And saw incredible moves of God. It's all recorded in history. Aristopulus, Romans chapter 16, 10. Made it all the way to Britain. He was one of the 70. He made it all the way to Britain. Before it was Great Britain. <laughs> A long way back, we're talking about, you know. We're talking about the Roman era. Preached the gospel. Destiny. They're commissioned by God. 
Thomas walked all the way, walked all the way to India, preached the gospel and was martyred there. These were men and women of conviction with destiny and they fulfilled the call of God on their life for their day. Now you might say, I don't know what God's called me to. I want to tell you, when this thing gets rolling, there are going to be so many people coming into the kingdom of God that you somehow, somewhere will have a part on training them at some level. Your days of sitting in the pew, going home and listening to my message, and sitting in the pew, going home and listening to my, coming to an end. The whole purpose of the fivefold ministry, guess, was to prepare the people for the ministry. That's what they were here for. Prepare you to find your calling and ministry and get on with it. I don't care how old or how young you are. I tell you, when, when this thing starts coming in, these kids are going to need some older grandparents to help them through. They really are. How do you know your calling? We said time. How do you know your calling? I'll tell you this in two minutes. <laughs> no, no time. Okay, three basic refinements. First of all, once you know what God is calling, you have to define your purpose. Define it clearly. Gather the necessary resources that will help you achieve it. This is in the natural as well as the spiritual. Stay focused on that purpose. Stay focused on it. Most Christians, you know, waver and wait. Focus is important. And, um, oh yeah. See, what you do in this temporal role, how you do it, what you do, how successful you are in God, and, and how you fulfill your calling in this physical world determines your call in the next realm. See? And so God's giving this generation an opportunity. You know, Moses was in an interesting guy. It says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked upon their burdens. When he looked, he knew he was not an Egyptian, though he'd been brought up in the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was brought up, uh, Moses was brought up in the natural, in an environment where nothing was impossible. He was brought up among the Pharaohs, and they could do anything. They had massive armies, nothing was impossible. That was ingrained into him, in the secular. Okay, so he goes out, and he's looking upon the burden of the Israelites. And as he's looking at them, something happens. They are my people. They are my people. I'm not an Egyptian. They are my people. And then he sees one of his people being beaten up by one of the Egyptian overseers. Something rose within him. He goes down there and he gets hold of this Egyptian and kills him. A little impetuous, but you know. Something was stirring on the inside. You know, he had to flee for his life after that. Forty years in the wilderness, preparing 
He didn't even know God, God was preparing him, but he was. He saw the afflictions of his people. He had compassion. He had a strong desire to do something about it. And that established a call in his life. Sometimes you feel that, you know. Sometimes that's the way it works. Not a voice from heaven. He just saw that. That desire, he was moved. A call was forming. See what moves you. What moves you in life? What moves you? What triggers you? You see? You know the call of Isaiah? It was very different. Isaiah 6, 8, he said, Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? I says, I'll go. How many missionaries have gone to the field? Genuine missionaries have called. Because some missionary came and told them what was happening and said, we need missionaries. And somebody said, I'll go. They were moved. Something of their destiny sprang to the surface and said, I'll go. Constituted the core, the pull, you see, on his life. But as I, he just volunteered. And God said, okay. See, hearing what was on God's heart moved him. The call of David was different again. He was sovereignly chosen by God, you know. 1 Samuel 16, 11, Samuel said to Jesse, Are there here all your children here? And he said, They remain if the youngest, but, you know, he can't be king. He's out on the hill. too young, and he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Bring him in. They brought David in and Samuel goes along. He said, that's the one. You're the next king in Israel. You know, imagine his father saying, but all his elder brothers are going to have a real problem with this. You know, next king. Sovereign. Sometimes the prophetic works that way. You go along and sometimes I've come across people think, oh, there's a call on that life. And start to reveal it. Sometimes it works that way. But many times it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it can come in a dream. Joseph dreamed a dream. Remember him? That was the call on his life. Simple as that. And, and we need to ask God to begin to clarify what he's called us to. You know, and get some understanding about it, you know. And then start to prepare for it. Second Peter one ten, wherefore, brethren, rather give diligence to make your calling and your election sure, for if these things be in you, you will not fail. What things? Peter said, by giving diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, and godliness, brotherly kindness. So he said, if these things be in you you won't fail in your calling. It's not what giftings you've got, it's what character you have. He said, you know, these things, if you're serious about your calling, prepare for it. Virtue, you know, it's moral and spiritual purity. Knowledge, a good understanding of God's word, you know. Temperance, self-control. 
patience. <laughs> Learning to wait. Godliness. It's a character. God-like character. Kindness. Are you really? Are you really a kind person? Does it show in your life? Love. You know the Bible talks about the law of kindness. If you are kind to everybody you meet, God's going to be kind to you. People will say, "Why is so God so kind to you?" Because of the law of kindness. You reap what you sow. Hallelujah. Well, Job was a good guy. And we all have an inheritance and investment in the same experience at some level in some way. You're all going to have trouble at times. Not because you've done something wrong, but because God wants you to learn something, to overcome to have something established in your heart. You know, I often used to wear, you know, some people go in their old age and they just die in their sleep, right? Time to go and they die. Others get sick and die. And I thought, you know, why, Lord? We're talking about Christians. Why? Because during that time of sickness, a lot of things can be straightened out with the Lord before you die. God knows what he's doing. See? So you go through this period, maybe a little suffering before you die. It's all redemptive. It's all in the plan of God to help you and bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for truth that sets us free. Lord, let your truth today set your people free. Make a change in their lives, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Change, change. Bring them more clearly onto the path of destiny for their lives. The reason for which they are here and were allowed to come at this, in this generation. Destiny. I pray, Lord, that you will begin to clarify more their calling. Let there be a more clarifying thing, Lord. Understanding and the preparation. So that they can streamline their lives to that which you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless If you'd like any more information, please go to our website, www.bushfireministries.co.uk or see our online web shop, www.bushfire-shop.org. 